Here's the word of God for us this morning, John 12, 31 through 36. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light's among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness has not, does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Pray with me. Lord, you've already heard us in song pray, show us Christ. I pray that we will see and understand and worship Jesus better because of our time in your word. Please give us wisdom, the illumination of the Spirit, joy, growth. Salvation for those who need it. Repentance for those who need it. Just hearts overflowing with Jesus for those who need that. That's our prayer in Christ's holy name. Amen. You can be seated. All right. You ever notice sometimes we spend months or even years building up to an event. And then we're just shocked when the event happens and is over. Think about people preparing for a wedding. And this may cause some of you trauma, so if it's you, think of something else. (laughs) People will spend a year or more, the families, the children, man, they plan, they get the venue, they get the decorations, they get the clothes, they get the food, they hire the photographer, they spend too much money. And, oh, it's all perfectly planned. We've got the seating chart and things that I don't understand laid out. Hours are spent on invitations. Some people spend hours picking the font for the invitation. It seems like everything in the life of the couple sometimes is consumed with that day. But suddenly the day comes and the ceremony happens so quickly. I will tell you right now, if I'm leading a wedding ceremony, it is often less than half an hour. You might say to me, Travis, why would you do less than half an hour for a wedding ceremony? The answer is, never in human history has any human being ever claimed that a wedding ceremony was too short. (laughs) It ain't ever happened, y'all. Truth is, a lot of buildup gets involved in a thing that happens in a snap. Well, the same thing is true of what we're seeing here. Jesus is pointing to us to what he is about to do. See, before today in the ministry of Jesus in John chapter 12, Jesus repeatedly said to people, my hour has not yet come. My hour has not yet come. But once a group of Greeks, Gentiles from another land, asked Jesus to see him, Jesus said, the hour has now come. All of Jesus' ministry, all of his teaching, all of his healings, all of his miracles, all led 
to a single moment when Jesus comes and does the one thing he came to do. There's a lot of buildup, and very, very soon, the mission's going to be accomplished. Today, we come to a closure, if you will, of the public ministry of Jesus. Today, we see Jesus talk about the mission he's going to soon accomplish. Today, we see the doubt of man and the call of God believe. So let's take a look. And for you who are note takers, we're going to have two main points, but the first has three little sub points in it. Kelly, does that help you make your notes? I'm here to serve you. Point number one, rejoice that Jesus accomplished his mission. By the way, can you just imagine that that's worth joy that Jesus accomplished his mission? Hang with me then. Rejoice that Jesus accomplishes mission. Verses 31 to 33 read, Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Jesus tells us three things here that are going to happen because his hour has come. The world will be judged. The devil will be cast out. And Jesus will draw all people to himself. So the first sub-point, if you're a sub-point writer, Jesus' mission judges the world. Jesus' mission judges the world. Jesus first says to us, now is the judgment of this world. Something about Jesus headed to the cross is going to bring about the judgment of God upon the lost world. All through the gospel, according to John, we've seen language about judgment and about condemnation. We've seen multiple references, quote, to the world, often meaning the mass of sinful humanity who are out of favor with and who are opposed to God. Let me give you a couple examples. If you want to flip in, John, you can. If you want to listen, it's fine. But in John chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, in the prologue, we read this. The true light which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. There in the prologue, John says Jesus made the world. But then he points out, that though Jesus came into the world that he made, the world did not recognize him. Can you guys already sense that John's kind of playing with the word a little bit? The world, the created order, includes in it, for John, a world which is the collection of wicked humanity that rejects their God. Make sense? If you say a thing is worldly, you could mean that it just is a reflection of creation. There's nothing wrong with that. But you could mean it's a reflection of sinful, fallen humanity, and that's a bad thing, right? World, world. Look at John chapter 3, 14 to 19. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved, what? 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. There in John 3, it's early in his ministry, and Jesus is in a conversation with Nicodemus. And there Jesus pointed out that he would be lifted up. We see that concept in our section today as well. Jesus said he came as the Son of God to save all who believe. And this is an expression of the love of God for the world. Jesus didn't come on a mission with a focus on bringing condemnation into the world. He didn't come saying, I am coming down to squash y'all. But there are those who will refuse to believe in Jesus. They will refuse to find life in his name. And for that refusal, the scripture tells us they are condemned already for their unbelief. And then we see the judgment that befalls these people. They're under God's judgment, his condemnation, because they have embraced darkness and refused the light of the love of God in the face of Christ Jesus. Watch for light and dark motif later in the message as well. John chapter 5, verses 20 to 30, we won't read that today. Jesus speaks about judgment. And there he says the same sorts of things we've already seen He adds that the Father has given all authority for judgment over to the Son. But then he balances it out in John 8, where he speaks of himself and his Father as united in judgment. You refuse Jesus, you face judgment. You believe in Jesus, you come to him for mercy, you escape judgment. This is the principle that's repeated time and time and time again in John. As the Son of God faces the cross, He says, now is the judgment of this world in John 12. Now, how's that the case? First, what do we know? We know this is not Jesus saying, today is the day of the final judgment. How do we know that? Because it didn't happen, right? That moment is still in the future. There will be a day When every human being comes out of their graves, there will be a day when the people come out of their graves at the command of God and stand before God. That is not happening in the next couple days on Jesus' timeline. What's that going to look like, by the way? You ever wonder about that? I think we can see it in Revelation 20, 11 to 15. John says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. Get the idea? Set of books, one book. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. 
And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I want you to notice something about that. In the final judgment, people will face face God and be judged by one of two standards. You will either be judged based on what you've done in your life, your deeds, the covenant of works, or the book of life. Think about your deeds. If your life is perfect enough to match God's standard of absolute infinite holiness and perfection without any stain of sin, theoretically, you'd be good enough to please God. How many of you believe you've lived up to that one so far? See, the problem is because of the fall of man in the garden, not any one of us will ever be good enough to please God in that way. We will never please God based on doing good deeds. We will never make our way to God under our fulfillment of the covenant of works. Can't be done. If you are judged, if you're judged by God based on the record of your deeds, you will be condemned forever and you will spend forever in hell under the right just wrath of God. Alternatively, some people escape hell, which, by the way, for you and me is good news, right? They don't escape hell because they're good enough, but because their names are found written in the book of life. These are the people who have gotten under the grace of Jesus Christ through faith. We call that the covenant of grace. Those who have believed in Jesus have two very, very good things that have happened for them. First, let me just ask, have you you believed in Jesus? Have you you entrusted your soul to Jesus for salvation? Because this is for you, if that's true for you. First, the penalty for your sin has been paid by Jesus. Second, God gifts you God gives you as a gift he gifts you with the record of Jesus's perfect righteousness Christ's perfect life so even though you and I were never good enough on our own to get into heaven God counts people who are under grace as righteous in Jesus our names are written in the book of life Because the book of life is the list of everyone Christ died to save. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's good news. Now, let's go back to our thinking thinking in our passage. That was not a rabbit trail, I promise. Jesus says in our passage for today, that the cross doesn't just accomplish salvation. The other side is true. The cross of Jesus will establish and guarantee the judgment of the world. Something about Jesus going to the cross guarantees the just judgment of the people who refuse God's grace. The cross finalizes that there is one way 
for mankind to be made right with God. And by finalizing that there is one way for mankind to be made right with God, it guarantees the salvation of some and the judgment of those who refuse it. God is just. God, as a holy judge, will perfectly justly punish all sin. When Jesus died on the cross, he made the only payment that could ever cover the sin of another human being. Any person who will not come through Jesus will stand before God and receive from God judgment, the right condemnation for his sin, because he will be judged by his own personal deeds. That's how the cross brings judgment on the world. Second sub-point. Jesus' mission casts out the devil. Jesus' mission casts out the devil. Savior said, now will the ruler of this world be cast out. When he says ruler of the world, Jesus is speaking of the devil. How do we know? John 14, 30, John 16, 11, he again uses the phrase ruler, or ruler of this world for the devil. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul calls the devil with a lowercase g, the god of this world. In Ephesians 2, 2, calls him the prince of the power of the air. You see, the evil world system follows after the designs of the evil one. As far back as the Garden of Eden, the devil has been actively working to corrupt people made in the image of God. His desire, Jesus told us in John 10.10, is to steal and to kill and to destroy. The devil's a real being who hates God and he wants to destroy everything that honors God. And the devil is a foe destined for destruction, destined for hell, destined to be crushed by the Almighty. But how does the hour of Jesus, how does his death on the cross cast out the devil? Let me take you to an Old Testament picture to illustrate it and we'll see how it works. If you've got a Bible, go to Zechariah 3. By the way, it's only a few books to the left. You're in John, so just go back. Mark, Luke, Matthew, Malachi. I kid. Malachi, Zechariah. Zechariah 3. I want you to watch this scene. I want you to think about it, especially in a good figurative sense of who's good enough to stand before God, okay? Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was, was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. Right now you're going, what? Here's the scene. A priest named Joshua is covered in filth. He's guilty. He's not worthy 
of the role of being the priest and standing in the presence of God. And what is the devil doing there? He's pointing it out. He's accusing. He's accusing Joshua before the Lord. But the Lord has none of it because the Lord had chosen to rescue Joshua. Now, think with me about the strategy of the devil. Satan knows God is holy. He knows God is just. So what he wants to do is to try to force God to condemn you. He wants to make God condemn the people God will save. The devil points out their sin and says to God, See, you've got to judge them or you're not really just. It's a pretty good strategy, don't you think? Now think about what the cross does. When Jesus goes to the cross, he totally vindicates the name of God and proves God's perfect justice. Even if God had beforehand passed over sins, not judged things that needed to be judged, not judging people who deserved it, it is all set completely right at the cross. At the cross, God punishes every single sin God ever forgives. At the cross, the account is balanced. Romans 3, 23 to 26. This is important for you to understand because it shows you a purpose for the death of Jesus. Romans 3, 23 and following. Listen well. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. You with me? Listen. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Do you see the application here? At the cross... God demonstrated, showed his righteousness and proved himself just and the justifier of the ones who have faith in Jesus. When God proved himself just, he defeated any claim that the devil would ever have to throw against the children of God. So now, if the devil were to try to accuse a Christian and demand that God punish the sin of that Christian, God can say to the devil, The Lord rebuke you because that sin was perfectly punished at the cross. My son's sacrificial death covered that sin and my justice was carried out. I did punish that sin. You can't call me unjust and you can't accuse them. When the Savior went to the cross, the devil probably thought he'd won a great victory. But with the resurrection of Jesus, the devil would have realized that the cross actually sealed his doom and pulled his fangs. In Revelation, John has a vision 
of the casting out of the devil. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 12. It says, Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated. And there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved their lives, for for they loved not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. Jesus at the cross did the work. Jesus made it so that the devil can no longer accuse us before God. And now, and this is kind of cool, we conquer the devil not by doing some sort of weird spiritual jujitsu, but by believing in the finished work of the blood of Jesus. We don't beat the devil by spiritual tricks and exercises. You beat the devil by clinging to Jesus and knowing Jesus beat the devil. Yeah, the devil is actually still on the earth running around making as much havoc as he can muster. He probably lives in D.C., but that's just a guess of mine. He may vacation here. But you know what, guys? The devil's a defeated foe. And that defeat happened at the cross when Christ hour came all right third sub point you still awake all right jesus mission draws all people jesus this section jesus says and i when i am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself now real quick the phrase lifted up it's a reference to being killed by crucifixion verse 33 tells you that Jesus says, when he's lifted up, when he's crucified, he will draw all people to himself. So let's just stop real quick, just you and me. Was Jesus crucified? Did then Jesus draw all people to himself? Yes. He most certainly did exactly what he said, which means we need to know what it meant. The word for draw is a word that we've seen used. We talked about it back in chapter 6. And back in chapter 6, I took a long time to explain to you that the word for draw here is the same word that is used for a man drawing a sword. Have any of you ever drawn a sword or drawn a gun before? Now here's a question. When you draw a sword, are you persuading it? Come on, sword, hop out. It'd be great if you hop out, sword. Or do you grasp it, and by force of your power, move it. That is what it means to draw. So Jesus says when he is lifted up, he is going to move all people by force. This is not an urging, it's not a wooing, it is not an attempt to influence or persuade. Jesus says 
When he is lifted up, he will draw. He will move by his mighty power all people to himself. And now we have some confusion, don't we? Because some people forget the context of the passage. Some people say, well, draw can't mean that he's going to forcibly move all people to himself because we know that not every person is saved by Jesus. That is a misunderstanding of what Jesus means when he says all people. Remember that this entire event, this entire conversation is triggered by the arrival of Greeks. Gentiles from another land who said they wanted to see Jesus. And that little context clue helps this all to fall into place. What does the phrase all people mean? There are two things it can mean. Only two, two things it can mean. It can mean all people without exception or all people without distinction. Those are your choices. All people without exception, all people without distinction. If Jesus meant all people without exception, he would be saying that he would somehow draw, move by force, every individual person on earth because he's crucified. But since we know that not every individual without exception has come to Jesus, we've got to conclude either that the mission was not accomplished, that Jesus failed in his mission, or that draw doesn't mean what draw obviously means in every other occurrence of the word draw in Scripture. Neither of those are good answers, right? How do we know from the very beginning Jesus is not saying that he's going to draw every individual to himself without exception? Well, he just said to us, his hour, his crucifixion, his resurrection is going to bring about the judgment of the world. Be a really weird thing for Jesus to have said if he was just about to try to draw every single person to himself without exception. Alternatively, all people could mean all people without exception distinction. That is what Jesus is saying, by the way. Jesus had been ministering to Jews nearly exclusively, but when he is lifted up, when he is crucified, it's not going to be just about the Jews. He's going to draw all people, people from all people groups, all people without any distinction of nationality or social status or bloodline. The death of Jesus accomplishes not tries to accomplish, accomplishes salvation for Jews and for Gentiles, for rich and for poor, for men and for women, for slave and for free, for healthy and for sickly, all people without distinction. Look at the rest of Scripture helps us see that saving all people without distinction of nationality is exactly what Jesus accomplished. In fact, The uniting of all people groups, Jew and Gentile, is a mysterious purpose of the ministry of Christ that Paul emphasizes over and over again in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 11 to 13, Paul says, Therefore remember 
that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Or Ephesians 3 verse 6 says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The mystery of Christ, hidden in the Old Testament scriptures, revealed by the work of Christ, is that Jesus came to bring to salvation people out of all people groups. When Jesus is lifted up, he did exactly what he meant to do. He accomplished the salvation of all people. He literally did draw all people, meaning that he purchased for God the salvation of people out of every people group on earth. Now, here's the question. Is that biblical language or am I applying a theology to this? Well, one more time, I'll give you a passage from Revelation because I like studying Revelation. Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. Listen to the words. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. We're talking about Jesus. You were slain. What did Jesus accomplish? And by your blood you ransomed people for God. Pause again. You didn't try to ransom people. You ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom and priest to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Going to the cross, Jesus perfectly, without fail, accomplished his mission. He brought the judgment of the world. He cast out the devil. He removed any claim that Satan might try to have over the people of God. And Jesus made sure that God's eternal kingdom will be filled with all people without distinction. God's kingdom is made up of people from all people groups with none outranking the others. Revelation said he ransomed people from every nation. Not that he tried to ransom all people, but only got a few who would receive it. Jesus perfectly accomplished exactly what he set out to do. And friends, that's good news. We rejoice that Jesus perfectly completed his mission. Now let's go to point number two. Just feel like it should be point number two or more. I don't know how to say this now. Yes, there was a mini sermon in point one. I get it. Point number two, believe in Jesus. 34 to 36. So the crowd answered to him, we've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. 
We've seen it time and time again, haven't we? Today's passage wraps up with two responses to Jesus. Some believe him, some oppose him. And that's exactly where all people are today. This is exactly where you are today. Either you believe him or you oppose him. That's all you can do. Verse 34, there's a group of people. They, they, they want a little bit of a spiritual gotcha moment. They know from some Old Testament passages that the Christ, God's promised king, will rule the world forever. But here Jesus says he's going to be lifted up. He's going to be crucified. He's going to be killed. How in the world can Jesus be the Christ, they say? How can you be the promised one? How can you be the fulfillment of what God says if you're going to die a cursed death? Huh? Tell us that. You know, one of the mistakes that we make people, just being honest with each other, One of the mistakes we make is we assume we have to understand everything up front before we're willing to take Jesus at his word. You know what the problem is with that? We're finite in our knowledge. We can't know everything. We lack the capacity to hold all the data God knows in our little brains. And we lack the proper spirituality to interpret that data correctly if we don't have God's help. Yes, God did in fact promise that the Christ would come and reign as king forever over the whole world. But God also promised that the Christ would come and die, laying down his life in order to pay for the sins of other people. The Christ is destined by God to be a suffering servant who would die, be buried, and rise from the grave and then come reign as king. If all you have in your mind in the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 9, you've got a king who comes and rules the world forever. That's true. If you've only got Daniel chapter 7, you've got a king, son of man, handed power over the whole world forever by the Father. But if you bring in Isaiah chapter 53, you see that there was a man who is wounded for the transgressions of others. You see a man who will be buried, but who will see the light of life. You see one who dies with no children, but who will see his offspring as a reward forever. You see the Son of God who accomplishes his role in the covenant of redemption and whom the Father rewards. Isaiah 53 ends with the verse that says, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death, he dies, and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. How do you reward a dead man? Well, in God's perfect plan, you raise him from the dead and you give him the people he died to save. Jesus could have told these people all this stuff, but he's already had several conversations with them. So in this instance, the Savior doesn't. He just calls on the crowd to believe in him before it's too late. We get the light, dark metaphor one more time. Walk in the light while the light's here. If you walk in the dark, you're in real trouble. You don't want the darkness to overcome you. Jesus is warning these people that in a few days, they're not going to have him around them anymore to preach the truth and to invite them into salvation. Instead, they'll have to believe in someone they can't see anymore. It's going to be a lot easier to believe in Jesus while you still see him. 
After his death, after his resurrection, that's going to be harder for this crowd. Then John tells us, after Jesus said all this, and man, it's just eerie to me. After he said all this, Jesus withdrew himself. Jesus went somewhere out of the sight of the crowd. The public ministry of Jesus was over. In John, the next public appearance of Jesus is going to be at his trial and his crucifixion in chapters 18 and following. And as the curtain falls on this scene, you and I are left with a couple things. First and foremost is the call of Jesus. Believe. Believe in Jesus while you live. Believe in Jesus before it's too late. Do not, like this crowd, keep coming up with what you think are clever and smart objections. God has actually covered them all. Believe in Jesus. Surrender to Jesus before your door of opportunity closes. And there's a call for Christians here to praise Jesus. Praise him for his finished work. Jesus defeated the devil. That means that Satan himself has not a single word of accusation against any Christian that will stick. You and I know how messed up we've been, don't you? We who know Jesus should be as conscious as any person in the world how far we have fallen short of the glory of God. But Jesus has covered our sin, paid our penalty, and granted us his righteousness. His mission is accomplished. And we live with true gratitude knowing that God sees us justly as perfected and forgiven, even as you strive to try to live that direction. We know that the cross guarantees the judgment of the world, so we take the warning of judgment and the offer of salvation to people from all nations. After all, we also know Jesus is drawing to himself a people from every nation on earth. So we are confident that Jesus is going to draw to himself all the people for whom he died, and we rejoice that we get to carry the gospel to these people, and we get to watch God move and save their souls. Let's pray together, friends. Lord, as we wrap up here, I would just ask you to help us to make personal application and commitment and to worship because of what we've heard. Friends, as you pray, I want you to be praying on your own for a little bit, just like we do at the beginning. And I want to invite you to pray about the things that you've heard. For example, you know that Jesus brings, has accomplished judgment, that it's a real thing. Pray and ask the Lord to give you a real sense 
of the fact that those who are not under the grace of Jesus are judged. What a great time this would be for you to pray for a loved one who doesn't know Jesus. What a great time this would be for you if you don't yet know Jesus to pray, please, Jesus, save me. Because I deserve wrath. What a great time this would be for you to remember judgment's done. You don't have to fret that the wicked are getting away with wickedness because God the Father will always do justice. Rejoice, Christians, that the devil's defeated and pray, oh God, thank you for taking the devil's claim against me away. Thank you for Jesus dying to make it so that the devil can't accuse me anymore. Thank you for doing justice, not just pretending my sin didn't happen, but punishing my sin in Jesus and making it so that the devil can't say a word. Lord, we know the devil's still moving. We know he still exists and still harming people. But we know he has no power to accuse. And so we say thank you. Rejoice, friends, that Jesus is drawing all people to himself. Thank him that he didn't just choose the Jews or just choose people of a particular skin color or a particular hair color, but he's choosing to build a kingdom that's beautifully diverse. Praise God. And help, ask the Lord, Lord, help us to have hearts for the people of the nations and to rejoice as the gospel goes and draws people. And friends, pray for those who need to believe in Jesus. Pray that God will save souls and change lives and to give them a sweet trust in our Holy Savior. Lord God, as we wrap up this time, I just ask you, help me trust Jesus. Help us all trust Jesus. Help us rejoice in Jesus. It's in his holy name we pray. Amen.